0: national direction, since he was then waging a civil war on behalf of a union that he claimed predated the existence of the states. This was a fundamental distortion of how history happened, though we may wish to forgive Lincoln, since it was the only way for him to claim the political authority to end slavery. Truth be known, nationhood was never a goal of the War for Independence and all the political institutions necessary for a viable American nation-state were thoroughly stigmatized in the most heartfelt convictions of revolutionary ideology. The only thing holding the American colonies together until 1776 was their membership in the British Empire. The only thing holding them together after 1776 was their common resolve to leave that empire. Once the war was won, that cord was cut, and the states began to float into their own, at best, regional orbits. Any historically informed prophet who was straddling that post-war moment could have safely predicted that North America was destined to become a western version of Europe, a constellation of rival political camps and countries all jockeying for primacy. That, at least, was the clear direction in which American history was headed. To say that something happened to change that direction is obviously inadequate. The beauty of the Lincoln version of the story is its presumption that a national ethos was already embedded in the political equation, albeit latently or implicitly, so that what we might call the Second Revolution of 1787-88 to 88 followed naturally from the first in 1776. But for all the political, ideological, and demographic reasons already noted, the transition from the Declaration of Independence to the Constitution cannot be described as natural. Quite the contrary, it represented a dramatic change in direction and in scale. In effect, from a confederation of sovereign states to a nation sized republic, indeed the largest republic ever established. So how do we explain such a seismic shift in the gravitational field of American political history? Well, the kind of bottom-up explanation that works so well to convey popular opposition to British imperial policy in the 1760s and 1770s will not work in the 1780s. Mobs did not appear, urging the creation of a fully empowered American nation. Quite the opposite, the dominant historical forces in the 1780s were centrifugal rather than centripetal, meaning that the vast majority of citizens had no interest in American nationhood. Indeed, they regarded the very idea of a national government as irrelevant to their local lives and ominously reminiscent of the British Leviathan they had recently vanquished. There was no popular insurgency for a national government because such a thing was not popular. The obvious alternative explanation is top-down. All democratic cultures find such explanations offensive because they violate the hallowed conviction that, at least in the long run, Popular majorities can best decide the direction that history should take. However, true that conviction might be over the full span of American history, and the claim is contestable, it does not work for the 1780s, which just might be the most conspicuous and consequential example of the way in which a small group of prominent leaders, in disregard of popular opinion, carried the American story in a new direction. There is an ironic precedent for this argument. During the first half of the twentieth century, Charles Beard and his disciples, chiefly Merrill Jensen, created a school of thought called the Progressive School that dominated our understanding of the revolutionary era. While much of their work is not aged well, chiefly its claim that the founders were driven primarily by economic motives, two features of their storyline remain abidingly relevant. First, that the founders must not be regarded as demigods with unique access to supernatural wisdom. And second, that the transition from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution was orchestrated by a political elite that collaborated to say conspired seems sinister, but it is what the progressives meant to replace a state based confederation with a federal government that claimed to speak for the American people as a collective whole. In virtually every other respect, the narrative offered in the pages that follow veers in a different direction from the progressive interpretation. My sense is that the most prominent leaders of this founding elite were driven by motives that were more political than economic, chiefly the desire to expand the meaning of the American Revolution so that it could function on a larger, indeed national.